Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Okay, today we are going to be looking at a message called A Loving Shepherd's Charge to the Church, but this is also A Loving Shepherd's Farewell. It's from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders. Uh, Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for Paul's heart. We recall that he was Saul, a man um, trying to destroy the church. And then the church became his greatest love, only second to you. And you converted Saul to become Paul, to become little, and out he went. And you began to change his heart to a shepherd's heart. And now as we track him in the last stages of his third missionary journey, we see a home stretch headed to Jerusalem, and it's similar, at least it parallels the life that you live, Jesus, as you set your face like flint to Jerusalem, knowing the cross was ahead. And now we see the apostle following in those footsteps and knowing that tribulation and chains and affliction await him. But he was compelled by the Spirit to do what he did. And in this last address, another farewell address in our Bibles, Lord, so much richness, so much truth that we need to hear. So give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us today as we look at this farewell charge to the church. May we hear it afresh for us right now today. For shepherds of the church and sheep included We're all shepherding different people at different stages, and I pray we'd have ears to hear what you would say to us, both the encouragement you have for us and the warning uh, about wolves and sheep's clothing. So please guide us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Now the Bible is written largely in an agrarian culture, and sheep-shepherd metaphors run throughout the Bible. I'm going to show you a few of them before we go to Acts chapter 20. Psalm 23 is the first one I want to take you to, and it's a very familiar one to us, written by David, King David, and he writes these words. And I want you to see just the sheep-shepherd imagery here. And of course, you know who the shepherd is. The shepherd is Jesus, the sheep is us. And it's not the best compliment to be called a sheep. Sheep have been known to follow each other into open fires. They've been known to follow each other off the edge of a cliff. They need the protection of a shepherd. And when a predator comes, the sheep have no defensive abilities whatsoever. They've got to have that shepherd there to protect them or they're in big trouble. And David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And the question I think that always should be asked when we see Psalm 23.1 is to ask, is he your shepherd? You can claim the rest of this psalm, and for that matter, the rest of the beautiful passages about the shepherd and his sheep, if he is your shepherd, you have to have a relationship with him, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. I want you to see the role of a shepherd guiding and leading He guides me in the paths of righteousness. He teaches me the right way for his namesake or his glory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Here's the reason. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even when my, when my enemies are round about, my shepherd is feeding me. And that's one of the key images of a shepherd. He feeds the flock. He guides the flock, but he feeds them. He cares for them. Thou has anointed my head with oil. Shepherds have pointed out that the anointing the head with oil takes on a really interesting uh, idea. It's bug repellent. They used to put it on the sheep to keep the pests away. So I think the anointing of the head has a, a wonderful image of God's anointing through the Holy Spirit. But a secondary application is he helps us with things that bug us. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And here's where he's bringing me ultimately. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Turn to Psalm 95. We continue to look at shepherd sheep imagery just to set the table for this address. Psalm 95 in verse 1 says, O come, let us sing for, the, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. 95.3 For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the sea. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And then notice this warning today, if you would hear his voice, he does want to guide you, but you need to listen, I need to listen. Now turn over to Isaiah, just a little bit to your right, Isaiah 40. Israel was asking questions about God's leading them. They had wondered if he had abandoned them with all their trials and tribulations, invasions by foreign armies, all this stuff that was happening. Isaiah 40, verse 11, and God reassures them with another shepherd sheep imagery. After saying, he, here is your God, he says, Isaiah 40, verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. This is the promise of God. And then finally, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, just keep going to your right, pass up Jeremiah, Lamentations, you'll get to Ezekiel. I want you to see a passage in Ezekiel 34 where God warns the shepherds of Israel because they are not doing their job. Ezekiel 34 verse 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Ezekiel 34 2. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Verse 3. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for a lack 
for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. And God says, I lay this, shepherds, at your feet that my people have gone astray. And I was reading one writer this week who said, you know, with all the nonsense, the the moral uh, compromises in the church, the weird doctrinal distortions that have come on the landscape, should it not be laid at the feet of shepherd? If we were more vigilant in our duties, and we can't keep everybody from false doctrine, but you get the point, if we withhold what we should be doing or make it about us instead about God's flock, then God is watching and he's going to correct his leaders. And this is the high call, the noble call. If you go to Acts chapter 20 now, no, actually go to John 10. I want to show you one more passage and then we'll get to Acts. So right before the book of Acts, John chapter 10. But this is a noble call and it needs to be recaptured for that noble call. And the noble call of a pastor is that he's a shepherd under the chief shepherd. And I say pastor, but it should be pastors, plural. Because congregations are led by groups of leaders, elders and pastors. And you're going to see in Acts 20 how those terms are really synonymous. They apply to the same group of men called to lead a fellowship towards God, called to not only feed it, but protect it. And one of the ways that you protect it is by feeding it And there is a famine in the land for the word of God. I think many of you know that. And Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. When I was a younger Christian, I kept hearing people talk about the abundant life, the abundant life. But I didn't realize there were two parts to the verse. There's also a thief who wants to kill and destroy. Jesus came to give us abundant life, but there is an enemy on the prowl. Two wonderful folks in our fellowship have given me a a picture. It's in my office. It's right above my desk. It's a picture of a shepherd. It's picturing Jesus. He's got his staff, and there's a little sheep right next to him with a smile on its face, cozied up to the leg of the shepherd. And in the distance, there's a couple of wolves there, and they're eyeing that sheep. And they're thinking, lunch. But that shepherd is just cozied up against, or that sheep is just cozied up against that shepherd. And he's going, you can't get me because I'm right next to my shepherd. And that is a constant reminder for me that abundant life is found next to him. But I have an enemy. That enemy wants to steal that. He wants to steal my joy. He wants to chew me up, if you will. The thief is coming to steal But Jesus says, I, verse 11, John 10, am, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. There's an image from, if you turn to Acts chapter 20, from sheep shepherd, um, Uh, realities that say that the shepherd would be the door. He would literally uh, be in the opening between the predator and the sheep and he'd bring them into the sheep pen at night and he'd literally sleep in the opening so that if a predator got to the sheep, it had to come through the shepherd. And there's an old hymn writer who says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. This is one of the problems with sheep prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. 
Seal it for thy courts above. You see, the enemy is tricky and sometimes he gets us to wander not by growling at us and and saying, hey, just come over here for a minute, cheapy sheepy, and let me destroy you. But rather, it's through deception. Even through wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, as Jesus said, but inside there are ravenous wolves. And if you've ever seen the, the picture of the wolf and he's got the little sheep cap on, you know, right? His intentions are not good. And so now here's what Paul is doing. Paul knows that he's probably going to die. And many of the churches that he planted and many people that he led to Christ and many people he discipled for some three years in Ephesus, uh, his longest journey there, are now on their own. Other shepherds are going to have to care for these churches. And just like he wrote to Timothy last Sunday that we looked at that finer final farewell address in 2 Timothy and told him to hold the line and be a good soldier and be like a good athlete and be like that hardworking farmer. So Paul is going to give a final address to the Ephesian elders. And he's going to say to them, I'm leaving. I'm probably not coming back. You're probably not going to see my face again. And here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And so we're going to get a, we're going to get a seat at a first century pastor's conference But it's even more than that. The seat is that we are at a pastor's conference where the pastor knows this is the last time he's ever going to address those people again. If you knew that, what would you say? Well, we're going to see the heart of Paul. And it's a beautiful heart of a shepherd. And this is what God has done in his life. And so we pick up the account at Acts 20, verse 13. Luke is writing, and he includes himself, so he's an eyewitness. He says, But we, going ahead to the ship, Acts 20, verse 13, set sail for Asos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for thus he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. The evidence is that Paul took a little time away from the group, and he walked. And they say because of where we are, we're kind of on the coast of the Aegean Sea, moving down to the Mediterranean. This particular journey, you could walk about 20 miles, but you had to sail about 40, and you could walk it in about the same time. And I think Paul decided, you know what, rather than being with this big group of people for now, I'm going to take a walk alone, and I'm going to seek the Lord on a walk. Now, walking is good exercise, I think we all know that. But you can also make your time of walking a time of prayer. And sometimes you guys, I know you do this, you go on prayer walks, and you want some time alone with the Lord. And I think that's what Paul was doing, knowing what he was facing, knowing that the Holy Spirit was compelling him to go to Jerusalem, but he knew that same Holy Spirit was saying, bonds and afflictions are awaiting you. I think Paul said, you know what, I need a little time alone. I need to, I need to hear from the Lord. And it may well be that on this walk, he got the content of his address to the Ephesian elders. I don't know for sure, but it's my own speculation. Many times before Jesus did something major in his ministry, Luke 5.16 says he would often slip away by himself to pray. The night before he chose the apostles, he went and he prayed. And some scholars believe that he was laying names before the Father, and the Father was telling him, this is This is one, Peter, and this is another one, Andrew, and this is another one. And Jesus was in communion with his father. And the Apostle Paul, I think, was doing the same, paralleling Jesus' footsteps to Jerusalem to the cross. Paul now takes a walk. And uh, 
He ends up meeting his friends just in a little bit. Verse 14 says, when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. And sailing from there, 15, we arrived the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we crossed over to Samos. And the day following we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia. That's Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. And I think Paul knew if I stop by Ephesus again, it won't be a short visit. And he was in a hurry and we're told why. He was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Now if you recall, Paul was not able to get to, the, to Jerusalem for Passover even though he wanted to because there was a death threat. And so he kind of redid his travel plans and he couldn't make it to Jerusalem. So now his goal was to get there for the day of Pentecost, which is about 50 days after Passover. So Paul wanted to get there not only because he knew he needed to be there, but those people on the ship had the offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul may have been praying that that offering would be acceptable and the Jews would receive it in the spirit in which it was meant And he was probably praying over all these different things as he walked, and now he's back on board. And from Miletus 17, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Now, I didn't put a map up here for you, but you can see all these things. If you have some Bible tools or in your Bible, you can follow the map, and all these places are on the map, moving from the Aegean Sea down the coast to the Mediterranean Sea. What's amazing about Luke is he is a meticulous historian. As a matter of fact, some of you have heard the name Sir William Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey was a non-Christian who went to these lands to try to disprove Christianity, spent 15 years of his life trying to disprove it, and after doing that, he became a Christian. And many of you have heard that name, famous for archaeological finds. And this is what's happened with a lot of people. They go to disprove the Bible, whether from a manuscript standpoint or archaeologically speaking, and they find that every archaeological discovery tends to buttress or does buttress the biblical account. Uh, uh, there's a one uh, archaeologist whose last name is Gleck, and He was a Jewish archaeologist, same thing. He said there is no discovery that has ever controverted a single fact in the Bible. Every time we turn the shovel over and find something else, it affirms the biblical account. And as I've said before, archaeology is just catching up to the Bible. And so from Miletus, Paul passed Ephesus, about 30 miles past Ephesus now, but he sent, he's going to take advantage, full advantage of the layover of the ship And he called to him the elders of the church. I want you to note this word for elder. It's presbyteros in Greek. It means, it's a term borrowed from the synagogue and even ancient Jewish life. And it means an elder in that literal sense, somebody who is older. But it also can mean somebody who's mature or respected. And so an elder in a church in this office is supposed to be someone who's mature in their faith and respected and maybe even older chronologically because you know there's no substitute for experience. Now, I will tell you this. In my own personal Christian journey, I became a Christian at about 20, and they made me an elder at 26. I have no idea what they were thinking because even though I had a lot of zeal, I wasn't really prepared for that office, but they saw the zeal and and the passion in me, and I kind of had to learn things as I went 
But the elders are called for, and I want you to notice it's plural. There's more than one elders. Elders were appointed in every church. You can look at Titus 1.5. We saw this earlier in the book of Acts. And Paul has called for these men, and he's called them to himself for a very special speech. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, that's Asia Minor or modern day Turkey, how I was with you the whole time. If you have an NIV, it says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. One of the great things that a person could do who wants to be a leader of others is needs, you need to realize that your greatest sermons are not preached from a pulpit or even in a Bible study. Your greatest sermons are preached by your life, by how you live, by whether or not you have a heart for God's people and a heart for the kingdom. And I can't give you a shepherd's heart. God has to give that to you. And because the Bible teaches that we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, one of the things that you're going to notice as you go along in your journey is that God's going to teach you to love people that maybe before you didn't even click with or didn't even want to talk to. But he's going to give you a heart like his. And Paul says, you know how I lived. You know the way that I conducted my life. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, show yourself an example of those who believe. Philippians 3.17 says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There is a place for a human example in the church. God has given shepherds to the church to model the faith, to teach the word of God, but also to show by their lifestyle that there are legitimate Christians out there who are examples to the flock. That's what we want to be. And we don't want to be an example just because we're trying to be an example. We want to be an example because it's just a natural overflow of my life. I'm so in love with Jesus and so concerned about his kingdom that you, it can't help but come out. I can't help who I am. I'm not talking about a forced, wooden, phony example. I'm talking about you being so close to that shepherd that inevitably when you talk to somebody, they're going to see Jesus in you. Have you ever noticed that you can just tell when someone's a Christian? You meet somebody maybe at work or school or whatever in the neighborhood, and you can just tell. Now Paul says, not only was I trying to be this example to you, but I was serving the Lord with all humility. Now this sounds maybe a little bit self-serving, but some commentators say that Paul's talking about his humiliation. The rest of the verse says, and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. It sounds to me like Paul did a lot of crying during his life. Some people think, well, it's not very manly to cry. I would submit to you that here's a, a man's man if there ever was one. Here's one of the toughest cookies that ever walked the planet. And apparently he spent a lot of time crying. The question is, what did he cry about? I think he cried over the loss, Romans 9. He even said, I wish that I could even give up my own salvation or be a curse from Christ that my brethren, according to the flesh, would be saved. I think he cried over enemies of the cross from his own kinsmen. And I think sometimes he cried over his own trials. 
I mean, lots of times he had people plotting to kill him while he was trying to preach. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being at a podium or a platform or getting on board a ship and finding out these people have agreed, a group of them, that they're not going to eat until you're dead? Would you turn tail and leave? Paul says, look, I tried to keep going in humility, serving the Lord. And as we serve the Lord, inevitably we're going to serve people. Jesus says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. As Paul addresses the Ephesian elders in in Acts chapter 20, he says he's innocent of the blood of all men. That's an amazing uh, statement because Paul did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. I just want to say something to pastors out there. Don't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Don't be ashamed to preach the whole Bible. There's going to be value in every book of the Bible that you teach. Certainly, you know, for a lot of pastors, you start in the New Testament, teach books of the New Testament, but there's value in the entire Word of God. So don't shrink back because of popular opinion, because the Word of God has power in and of itself. Now, Paul warns, he says, be on your guard to these Ephesian elders. Watch over the flock whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, because they were purchased with the blood of Christ. Paul says, look, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in and they won't spare the flock. So you have to guard the flock. You have to be aware and awake for false teaching and false teachers. It's going to come. There's going to be men that arise and they're going to speak perverse things. And they're going to try to win some of these converts from Ephesus, some of these disciples. And you have to be on the alert. You have to watch over them. And the primary way that you do that is through sound teaching through good doctrine, through watching over the health of the sheep. This is the call of elders. This is the call of shepherds. And Paul charges them. He says, look, I'm not there anymore. I'm not there at the moment, so you're going to have to do it. And so he commends them to the grace of God. He commends them to the word of God, the word of his grace, which is able to build up. That's the main tool that a shepherd has in the spiritual realm is the word of God. And it's able to build up. It's able to sanctify It's able to encourage. And that's what this is all about. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program And we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.